The following audio session was recorded live at the 2017 Region 2 Convention in Costa Mesa, California. Please visit oar2.org for information about the 2018 convention in Sacramento and to get links for more convention recordings. Thank you for listening. My name is Carmen, and I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this workshop. Please join me in the serenity prayer. Hi, everybody. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may order outside in the foyer. This workshop will have speakers followed by Ask a Basket questions. The topic for this session is welcoming new team members working with newcomers. Now I want you to help me welcome Lori as our first speaker. Lori? Good morning. I'm Lori, compulsive eater. Hi. Hi. And um, I began um, being a compulsive eater from from the get-go. And so it was a lifelong thing, and it wasn't until I was... 65, that I finally admitted to myself that I couldn't do this myself. I just didn't know how. I knew how to diet. I knew how to lose weight. But slowly but surely, I was losing my grasp on losing weight because I was eating more than I was working off. And so I was gaining weight yet again, abusing laxatives at the time, My weight had gone up and down and up and down. My top weight was 208, and um, I was outgrowing size 20 clothes and just stuffing the food in hand over fist. I would eat sugar until I was dizzy. And I used to be a nurse, and I knew how dangerous that was. If you're getting dizzy from it, it's affecting your brain. And I didn't want to do that, but I didn't know how to stop. And so I... um, was caring for my mother-in-law, and I just reached a point that I was desperate. I finally acknowledged that I wasn't as honest as I thought I was. And I sat in front of the computer. I had a friend that had been um, found marvelous recovery in AA, and I had never heard of OA. So I sat down at the computer thinking, maybe there's something for somebody with my problem. Um, Maybe there's somebody else, because, of course, I was the only one that ate that way. Everybody else was overweight simply because they liked to eat so much, not that they couldn't stop. 
And so I typed in and typed in you know, various phrases and everything and Googled it and came up with OA. Now, being a um, dedicated compulsive eater or compulsive person, I couldn't find, yeah, but what do I do right this minute? I, I want something right now. I want recovery, and I want it right now. And so um, I kept typing. I took some information from there because they, they listed um, meetings to go to, but I couldn't go to face-to-face meetings. And at that time, I don't think they had any um, virtual meetings, um, or at least I didn't see them right away. And so I kept typing, and I found a program that is an outside interest as far as OA is concerned. However, all it talked about was OA and was supportive of OA, and so I didn't know that it wasn't part of OA, which to me made it the same as OA because it didn't teach anything else. It didn't talk about itself. It only talked about OA. And so there were online meetings there where you typed, and, of course, I went to um, my first meeting there and interrupted the person typing at the time uh, because, of course, I, I knew how to do it and I wanted you know, somebody to tell me to do what to do right now. But somebody did very kindly, you know, told me how, how the meeting would function, and that was okay. And I it was mildly embarrassed, but I didn't feel humiliated. It was like, no, this is okay. Everybody is here for the first time. And so um, I was led to... Uh, um, OA orientation, you know, what is it all about, how does it function, um, was a month-long program, which was marvelous. I, I still am hoping that OA will, will develop this themselves, um, but I'm not going to talk any more about an outside uh, organization. Um, but it got me started, and I decided that what I really needed to do was find out how I'm going to get started with changing my life. I I recognized right from the beginning that I needed to change my life. And so I decided that I was going to give up dieting. Dieting had not worked long-term for me. And I was just going to wait and find out what OA was going to suggest that I do. And in doing that, I immediately surrendered the idea that I knew what to do and surrendered it initially to what was, I, I, I saw, you know, you see the, the steps and right there, it's right there, you have a higher power. So I was an agnostic. I was terrified of the higher power that I had been brought up with and had spent most of my life, if I don't pay any attention to that higher power, he's not going to pay any attention to me and I'm not going to be punished for being a horrible person. And so I... Um, said, okay, well then OA is my higher power right now because OA knows more about what to do. And in doing that, I let go of the idea that I was going to control things. Now, when I was first presented with the steps and the traditions and the prayers and so forth, I rewrote them um, because they had to fit me, of course. Well, that didn't last too long. And I, I look back on it now with a bit of humor. Um, But somebody said not too long ago that if you've been in OA for less than 10 years, you're still a newcomer. And I've been now for six and a half years. I've let go of 75 pounds and 
um, have maintained that and gone through a n- number of things with the support of OA. It has not been a problem. It has not sent me back into the food. It's um, the best thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life. And by easing into the concept of having a higher power, of just recognizing, okay, OA knows more about this than I do, so therefore OA is is a higher power in this um, subject. It showed me I needed to listen. And one of the first things I heard was, if you want what we have, you have to do what we do. And so I said, okay then I need to pay attention to learn what it is that those people who really have what I want, you know, they're talking about how much weight they've lost, but they're also talking about their lives and how their lives have changed. And I came to the conclusion that being in this program has brought me enough serenity that I no longer feel the drive to soothe myself with food all the time. And I proceeded on, and um, I, in in the orientation, they said, okay, what you have to do is you have to have a, you don't have to. We suggest that you have a, a, a sponsor. Everything is always coached in the term of suggest. And I've heard it said that, um, yes, it's like we suggest that you keep breathing. It's the same idea. If you want recovery, you need to follow the suggestions. Because if you don't, you're not going to get the results. And they're not, when they're taken bit by bit by bit, we don't go bam and you have the whole thing all at once. It takes time to learn. And I'm still learning constantly. And the interesting thing is it's affecting how my brain works. My brain has always been very scattered. Um, I saw a T-shirt one day that said, they try to tell me I have ADD, but I don't think, oh, look, a squirrel. And I have squirrel moments all the time, and that probably was one. But this program has helped me slow down my thinking enough that I can pause to pay attention to what somebody else is saying. I don't have to constantly get sidetracked by what's going on. And some of that is, one of the suggestions was to meditate. I never meditated in my life. That's something for the hippy dippies. And so I learned to meditate. I started with one whole minute. And one whole minute of just sitting there quietly in a comfortable position. I now use it all the time. At the moment, I'm getting radiation every day. And I'm in this machine that's going clinkety-clunk, and it's got a loose screw in it somewhere, so you hear it rattle down and everything. I can just get that out of my mind, lay there, and what I do is I deep breathe in with your serenity in and deep breathe out my stress out. And I just keep doing that. Or sometimes it is just let go, let God Sometimes it's your love in, my love back. And all those things are very calming. And I have not gotten to the point of being able to focus on nothing at all. 
but at least I'm focusing on my breathing and I can feel the air going in and so forth. And all these things you take one at a time, one bit at a time. You don't have to take it all all at once. And it continues on. So in my life, things have improved. I think of the weight loss that I've had as a side effect of this program. That what it's done for the rest of my life, for instance, the first time in my life that I was ever asked to speak speak anywhere, I was terrified. I was so terrified that I felt sick to my stomach. I was talking to somebody on the phone, and I just said, no, I can't do it. I was sweating. You know, my heart was pounding. And it's, no, I can't do that. And it was on a subject that I knew very well. I used to raise goats. And it was something I had written an article about them, and they wanted me to do a little workshop on that same article. I could not bring myself to do it. And yet, in these meetings, the first time I walked into one of my meetings, and they said, you know what, our speaker didn't show up today. Would you speak? And I said, okay. And it was amazing that it was fine because I knew that the people in this room were like me. I wasn't the only one that thought about food the way I did, that focused on food, that was afraid of things all the time, that was afraid of other people, that just thought nobody liked me. I'm an oddball. Um, I came to accept that I am an oddball, and that's okay. I don't mind because I'm in rooms full of people that are oddballs with me. And that's, that's all right because each of us is different. None of us has to be perfect. And that was one of the very first things I learned in this program also was someone said, gee, you sound like a bit of a perfectionist. And I thought I had never thought of myself that way at all because I was so imperfect. How can you be a perfectionist if you're so imperfect? And I realized that I was so imperfect because I wasn't accepting the fact that I had imperfections. I was supposed to be perfect as far as I knew. Maybe this came from my childhood. I don't know. I had a screwy childhood like a lot of people. Um, No alcoholism or anything in my family, but my parents were divorced when, at a time when that was rare. And I... Just never, I I was the youngest of five kids, and my sisters paired off, and I was kind of like an afterthought, and I found out my mother was just taxed to the max, Um, and by the time I came along, she didn't want another child, um, and had been an unwilling um, participant in my production. And so it was hard for her to be warm and loving, even though she tended to be kind of a a loving type of person. Her mother was a terribly cold person. So it passed down in the generations, and it passed down to me, but something inside me sparked and said, I don't want to be that way. I don't know how not to be that way. I'm afraid of other people. And so I isolated. And many of us do that as well. We isolate so that we don't have to deal with the things that we don't know how to do. Because it's embarrassing to be imperfect where everybody else knows exactly what they're doing. Well, they don't. It's a matter of once you get comfortable with the idea that I can make a mistake and it's okay, then you're comfortable with other people. But 
I was 65 years behind learning how to do that. So I was a two-year-old coming into the rooms, learning how to grow up. And I've been growing up in these rooms. And it's interesting to have something, you know, and often people outside of ourselves will recognize changes in us before we do. And there was a day when we were driving somewhere and it, we had to get there somewhere on time. It was one of those important things. And um, we were stuck in traffic. And normally I would have been, okay, cool, pull over in that lane. Okay, now hurry up. There's a space over there. Hurry up. Get over in that lane. you got to get over. I would have been just conducting traffic from where I was. And I relaxed. And I just said, yeah, well, we're stuck in traffic. There's nothing we can do about it. We'll just go with the flow. And I startled myself saying that. And I said to my husband, I said, wow, I'm really surprised that I said that. And he just looked at me and he said, well, it's because you're a new person. And it was amazing to realize that. So having a sponsor to guide me gently through the steps. So many people are so afraid of the steps, and yet they're so wonderful because you do them one at a time. When you do step one, you don't have to worry about step nine where you're going to make amends. By the time you get there, you'll have prepared for it by doing the other steps. By the time you get to step four, where you're going to be talking about the things that happened to your li- in your life and the things that you've done in your life, you're going to have prepared for it. You will have a, a support system with you. And so you'll get... Somebody described all these things that we've been carrying as like all these resentments, all these fears and everything. We've been picking up rocks and putting it in our backpack for our lives, and we've been carrying this around. And... As we do the steps, as you do step four, you take a bunch of those rocks out of that backpack and it gets lighter. So you're ready by the time you get to step nine and you take the rest of them out. And you have gotten rid of all the stuff in the past and have a whole new opportunity to move forward. And this is, it's just awesome. When in our lives do we get a chance to do that? To make up as best we can for everything that's ever happened to us in our lives everything that we've ever done, and get a new start. And we're forgiven. So I've been working with my um, current sponsor, who I have never met. She's online, and I email her every day. I talk to her on the phone once a week, and that's fine. We have a wonderful relationship. I love her dearly, and she, she gives me wonderful guidance. And one of the first things she did was she had me memorize Page 417 in the big book. Acceptance is the key to all my problems. That really is step one. I accepted that I had a disease that was causing mayhem in my life, causing mayhem in my brain. But I accepted it instead of fighting against it and learned how to live with it. And that's what this program does. It taught me how to live with being a person who is a compulsive eater. Instead of dieting, which was denying that I was a compulsive eater and just pretending that I could eat like other people. I can't. I have a very definite plan of eating to follow. My plan of eating is I can eat any foods, but They're in very limited amounts. Everything is portion controlled. The healthier the food is, the more of it I can have. 
So I can always have a meal where I have sufficient volume to keep my stomach happy without getting more calories than my body needs. And I did this from the beginning. Instead of being on a weight loss diet, I ate the amount of food that will maintain what I weigh now. Okay. And so in that way, because it takes more calories to weigh more, to maintain a heavier weight, by eating the calories that will maintain this weight, I lost the weight down to it easily. And when I got to that weight, it was like, yay, I'm at my healthy weight, but I don't have to change what I'm eating. It's still the same thing. And I can do that one day at a time. Having gone through the steps, having rid myself of the past, having rid myself of nasty things that I said to people, and gotten to the point where I can recognize, ooh, that wasn't very nice of me to say that. I'm really sorry. And I can do that right at the moment instead of carrying it for years, which is what I had done in the past. So I'm not adding to my stresses anymore. I'm getting rid of them as I go along, and I'm praying and meditating each day. And I do service in this program. Service like speaking is a small part. It is the the little things that we do in our meetings. I love giving hugs. Right at the moment, because of my therapy, I can't do that. I have to protect my immune system. But other than that, um, I always greet newcomers because they're the most important people in the room. Without newcomers, there, there is no new people to come in. There's no one for us to give service to. And we all become teachers of what we've learned. I don't talk about things that I figured out. I talk about things that other people taught me. I can leave you with one other thing that my sponsor taught me. She said, there's Lori's business, there's God's business, and there's none of my business. Most things are none of my business. So I don't have to tell people what to do. I can just say, this is what I do, it worked, and hopefully it will work for you as well. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Our second speaker is Frank. Hi, everybody. If you're buying the recording of what's going on, I just wish you could see this room. The faces of people that are um, alive and awake and interested in this topic of welcoming new team members. Um, so I am Frank. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm 58 years old, and I've been in and out of OA for half my life. Um, my story is probably just like yours. Uh, um, I grew up in a dysfunctional family where food was love, and it was anxiety management. So I used food to feel better. Problem with that is I felt bad a lot. I felt less than, I felt overweight, I felt inadequate. So I kept turning to the thing that used to work even when it stopped working because I didn't know what else to do. I came, um, my first exposure to Overeaters Anonymous, I had a girlfriend 
right after college who was in program and already at goal weight. And I thought this was a delightful little program for her to manage her weight. But I was fine. But she would slip in little program gems during our relationship that I found quite odd. Like the time that we were uh, grocery shopping and there was this wall of um, binge food. And you scooped out your binge food, you put it in a plastic bag. And I don't know how other people do it, but I walked around the supermarket sampling. And with her program wisdom, she said, you're stealing. And I go, no, I'm not stealing. You know, come on, that's silly. I'm sampling. And she said, well, how many samples do you need till you know whether you like it or not? So that was my for, that was my um, first exposure to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, later, um, I was in graduate school. I was going to become a marriage and family therapist. And we did a class on 12-step recovery. And they said, go to a 12-step meeting, see what you think, and write a paper. And so I go, look, they've got one on food, just like my, my former girlfriend used to go to. So I went to my first OA meeting. And it was actually really cool. And I met a man who became my first sponsor. And he had 30 days abstinence. And I thought, well, that's 30 more than I have. Would you be my sponsor? Absolutely. Talked to the guy every single day. He would say, how are you? I would say, fine. And that went on for a couple of weeks till he actually mocked me back and go, fine. He was looking for more than that. But I wasn't feeling more than that because I was still in the food. Um, I was 29 years old, about to turn 30. He said, well, what are you doing this week? And I said, well, it's my birthday, um, and my wife is going to take me out for cake and champagne. And he said, well, you can't have that. I go, what do you mean I can't have it? It's my birthday, which is the uh, old, well, it's a special occasion, so I don't need to diet. I don't need to be on a food plan. So he and I went back and forth for a while, and I said, well, I'm doing it. You're not the boss of me. And he fired me. And we had a little personality conflict over that, and I left OA for probably 10 years, 15 years. So I went back to the um, diet and calorie clubs where you pay a bunch of money to take off a tiny bit of weight, but it always comes back with their friends. Um, so my next time in OA, you know, I was desperate. Another diet had failed me. I went in. And I made a similar mistake to my first sponsor. I saw a guy, and he looked like he was having a good time. So I said, would you be my sponsor? He said, sure. Here's my number. I called him. He never called me back. That one didn't work so well. Then I found a woman to be my sponsor. And by the way, I'm a gay man, so I can have women sponsors. There's no, there's no romantic tension. And I got a lot from her. We worked up through step seven, lost a bunch of weight. But then I got, um, you know, a little irritable and discontent that I wasn't losing weight fast enough. So she said, well, why don't you try Weight Watchers? That's what I do. That's my food plan. But you can't tell anyone. So that didn't work so well. So left OA because blew out with that sponsor, came back, found another one. And this guy and I have stuck. We've been together for about five years. 
worked all the steps, things are really good. So all, all that said, um, what I wanted to talk about is how we welcome newcomers. And this comes from Chapter 7, Working with Others. Pra- uh, this is a quote. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from overeating as intensive work with other compulsive overeaters. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other compulsive overeaters. So it doesn't say this is one of the tools or among the things that will give you value. It says nothing so much will ensure immunity from compulsive overeating as intensely working with other compulsive overeaters. So this is a suggestion, but it's like in bold print. It's really important. An intensive work with compulsive overeaters, um, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean you're at a, at, a, at a meeting, you see a newcomer, and you go, my name's on the phone list, you want to call me? Fine. That is not being real welcoming. So I want to talk about, well, what is really welcoming? First thing, attending meetings ensures that meetings stay open and alive and vibrant. So just showing up, nodding your head, and if you're in Southern California, clapping when people talk. If you're in Northern Cal, when I go on vacation, I still go to meetings. They don't clap in Northern Cal. And uh, the love and the recovery is still there. It's just kind of a different dance. But just showing up to meetings, that is working with newcomers just by getting in the room. Next, putting up your hand to speak and to gear what you say toward positive words. You know, there's a difference between pitching with solution in mind and pitching to complain. Ask yourself, is what I'm about to share likely to interest a newcomer enough to have them come back again? And if it's not, you're not helping. And you know what? Sometimes we need to just come and complain and, and, and dump. And you, occasionally, you do what you need to do, but know that when you're doing that, you're not helping newcomers. Um, holding service positions in a meeting helps keep the meeting open. Show up for your service commitments joyfully and be sure that the information on the meeting directory is accurate. Because that's how newcomers find us. Some therapist in your city has a meeting directory that's three years old. And if you call the number and it's not working, the person says, I don't go to that thing anymore. How does the newcomer find their way in here? So keeping that information fresh and accurate is helpful. At the break or at the end of the meeting, it's tempting to spend time with our friends, the people we know. These are opportunities to welcome and spend time with newcomers. Keep in mind, welcoming um, and connecting with newcomers is the reason for the meeting. You know, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson could not keep their sobriety until they worked with other alcoholics. And I take a lot of my guidance about being a sponsor from how Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson worked with alcoholic number three. They were kind, they were gentle. But they said, buddy, do you want help? If not, we won't bother you. If you do, we will share what we've done. 
that is very, very loving. Now, some sponsors are kind of rigid and by the book, and others are really, really loose. And you just need to be you because then your followers or your sponsees will find you and it'll be a good connection. But if nobody stays, you might need to modify what you're doing. So when you talk to a newcomer, one thing to say is, you know, like, you know, hi, I'm Frank. Um, hi, I'm Frank. What's your name? Oh, yeah, John. Um, are you new to OA or are you returning? I'm glad you're here. Do you have any questions? You know, we use a lot of words in here that don't always make sense when you're new. You know, like food plan or sponsor or stuff like that. Do you have any questions? Another good question is, how was this meeting for you? What do you think? Um, what other meetings have you tried? I also go to the Wednesday 7 p.m. meeting in this same city. If you're open to try another meeting, I'd love to see you there or we could ride together. You know, all these meetings are run by volunteers, so they're all different. If you didn't like this meeting, other meetings are different, and, you know, it, you just have to kind of find your people. Um, the other great question is, have you gotten a sponsor yet? I have a sponsor, and I'm an available sponsor. Um, so how about we exchange phone numbers and stay in touch and then call them? Hey, it's Frank from Sunday night. Just giving a call to see how you're doing. And then you listen. The thing that the big book tells us is we are uniquely qualified to touch the hearts of newcomers. Cause unlike someone with an agenda, we just share what we know and we share what we've done. So that's about being in the room with newcomers. Now I want to talk about sponsorship. I made a lot of mistakes picking sponsors. I didn't ask them how long they'd been in program. I didn't ask them if they'd worked the steps. I didn't ask them if they have a sponsor. I didn't ask them if their life has gotten better as a result of being here. And I didn't ask, what will you expect from me? And how available are you to talk? I have kind of a chaotic schedule. I'm a marriage and family therapist and a doctor of psychology. I see patients on the hour, and I can't work with a sponsor that only has a 10-minute window for me at 4.15 in the morning. I need someone a little more flexible. Some people have more discretion. So one thing I do is I hand out, and those of you in the audience will see a pile of handouts, sponsorship guidelines. By the way, this is not official OA the way you do it. This is the way I do it. I'm a volunteer, and I'm pretty selfish. And what I mean by that is I sponsor people, so I stay abstinent. This is self-preservation for me. So what the sponsorship guidelines talk about, and I'm not going to read it to you because you can pick up the handout yourself if you're here, is that I am never going to ask you as a sponsee to ever do anything that I am not doing. Because if it's a good idea for you, it's probably a good idea for me. And if I'm not doing it, I don't give it as an assignment. I share that the attitude that really works in recovery is a willingness to do whatever it takes. Because sometimes the next indicated step is going to be uncomfortable. Kind of like I'm already home and I've got my shoes off, but the meeting starts in 20 minutes. Putting on my shoes and getting to the meeting doesn't feel great until I get here. Uh, by the way, I also have anxiety. So whenever I have a social commitment or a business commitment to be somewhere, the closer it gets, the less I want to go. 
And what I've learned is don't buy into that thought because once I get there, nine times out of ten, it's great. And by the way, if you go to a meeting and it's not good, put up your hand and contribute. Some people come to meetings like they're watching television. Oh, this show isn't any good. There's no show. You are the show, and we're here for newcomers. The other thing I talk to newcomers about, and this is in the handout, is daily sponsor calls. I'd like to speak to you every day. Our time for speaking can change. You can text me. That's fine. Um, And if you leave a message for me, let me know whether you're touching base or you want to call back. If you want to call back, I will get to you. Um, But if it's just, I'm just calling in my food, that's fine. In terms of meetings, in a perfect world, you and I would meet at least one meeting, face-to-face, one meeting per week together. Um, I attend three meetings a week, so I'm not going to ask you to do more. But if you find yourself in trouble, more meetings may be indicated. Reading. We've got this nifty blue book. Even though it says alcoholic, we're just like alcoholics. As a matter of fact, there's hundreds of 12-step programs, and the 12 steps are the same in all the programs except for word number seven in step number one. We admitted that we were powerless over fill-in-the-blank and that our life had become unmanageable. And steps two through 12 are exactly the same. So I recommend reading three to five pages per day from the big book or other OA literature um, and then write about it. And I have a text network of buddies who I text my writing to. And they text back sometimes. And it's a way to keep in touch with each other. And when I meet a newcomer, I put them on, on the, uh, with their permission, I put them on the little text pool so that they can see that I'm actually doing the stuff that I've talked about it. In terms of food, you know, they say it's not about the food, but when you walk in, it sure is. So I'm one of those red light, yellow light, green light food guys. Green light is foods that have never been a problem for me. Like the speaker talked about last night, they were talking about beets. For me, it's radishes. I've never had too many radishes. I don't <laughs> steal radishes. And, and I don't go out to get more at midnight because I have a craving. Those are my green light foods. Yellow light foods are sometimes I can manage them when I'm doing well, and sometimes I can't. So those are foods that I eat in quantities that I commit ahead of time. And then red light foods are, it doesn't matter how I make promises about them, I can't keep those promises. I've never had enough baked goods that come in a pink box. And I've stolen them, and I've been the one that hit them really hard in front of the coworkers, and then they ask, where are all the binge foods? And so those are the red light foods, and I don't eat those. My food plan is really simple. Three meals a day with an optional snack, which is usually a piece of fruit. And as we heard, heard last night, a watermelon is not one piece of fruit. Love that. No obvious sugar. Dessert foods like, you know what dessert foods are. Don't have those. And when I can't plan a meal, I limit myself to one plate of food without seconds. That'll get me through, through most situations. The interesting thing is in the beginning, I was calling my sponsor more often with food choices. And I was at a very popular chicken restaurant one day. I ordered a two-piece combo, a breast and a leg. And it was served with a wing. And I hate wings. But I'm entitled to two pieces. So I told them they brought me the leg, but the wing was still on my plate. 
so I texted my sponsor and I go, um, Rich, I have a chicken dilemma. I have an extra piece on my plate. What do you suggest I do? You know what he texted back? Don't wing it. And I threw it away. I have never thrown away yellow or red light foods in my life, but I did that time. What else? Um, and I talk about the tools. This is a program of action. It's not a program for people that want it. There's not a, this is not a program for people who need it. This is a program for people who do it. So these are the tools. One, a plan of eating. If I walk out of my office at lunchtime and ask myself, what do I feel like? I'm going to wind up at an all-you-can-eat buffet. So I commit my food in the morning, and then God does for me what I can't do for myself, which is I eat the food I committed to, and I'm able to let go of the other tantalizing possibilities. Next tool is sponsorship. That, that was the magic ringer that says, I have two minutes. Uh, so sponsorship, the worst sponsor is no sponsor. Kind of tied with the worst sponsor is you for yourself. We need someone outside ourselves, um, And hopefully someone whose recovery is attractive. And you go, I want what they have. And if you want what they have, kind of like Lori said, then you got to do what they do. Meetings are essential. Um, we go to meetings to break up the isolation and to connect with people. You know, first word of the first step is we. It's not I. We is you and I in the fellowship of recovery. And we encounter the fellowship when we go to meetings and when we make outreach calls, which is the next tool, telephone, calling people. And a lot of people have problems with this tool I did, uh, but telephone's really essential. Writing is another tool that I use and really like. The other is literature. If you read the big book and you're arguing, well, I'm not an alcoholic. You know what? Alcoholics don't swear off liquid. They swear off alcoholic liquid. We don't swear off food. We swear off one day at a time the foods that create cravings. And for me, that's red light foods. Action plan. It's what we're going to do. Part of my action plan is nothing in my closet that doesn't fit. Because I don't need goal pants because that makes me feel bad. And I don't need fat pants because that's planning for gaining weight. I need clothes that fit. And that's it. Anonymity. We don't gossip about people. You know, if, if you learn something in program about you, share it all you want. Talking about what someone else talked about is breaking their anonymity. And anonymity is the spiritual component of all recovery programs. And finally, service. Service is coming to meetings, putting up your hand to, to pitch, hopefully positively, greeting newcomers, holding elected office at the meeting level or at the region level. And somehow this is what's gotten me through on my current two and a half years of abstinence with a 50-pound weight loss. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for coming to Region 2. If you didn't come to Region 2 but you're buying the um, audio stuff, thank you so much for being part of the solution. And now, a word from our moderator. Thank you both very much for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Um, 
It's time for Ask It Basket questions. We have a couple of Ask It Basket questions for you. Um, I will read them, and then either one of you can jump in. If it's addressed to one of you in particular, jump in if, if you have something to share in your experience, strength, and hope. Um, question, I haven't read them ahead of time, so on, on the recording, these may be answered. These may be not. First question to anyone, do you do different things with a newcomer sponsor versus a longer-time sponsor? Sponsee, sponsee, sorry. Do you, so I'll read that again. Do you do different things with a newcomer sponsee versus a longer-time sponsee? Basically... All my sponsees over the years have started out with newcomers. They, I mean, they were newcomers when they when they came to me. Um, I don't know if that's just a coincidence or or what. Um, but the crew I have now um, has been with me for a while, so they're not technically newcomers anymore. Although by the ten year rule, they still are. The difference is. Um, I take them through the steps, and like Frank shared, um, working with them each day on the phone, both conversation, how are things going, what are you stressing over, you know, what's your food, and so forth, and then working on the steps as well at, at the same time every day, and then um, try to get together with them once a week. And once they get through the 12th step, then it becomes more working with them daily, how are you using the steps in your daily life? And um, have you come up with a problem that um, you need to tackle? Okay, how do you 12-step that problem? Um, Not your whole life, which is the first time you go through the steps, but it is, for instance, you know, my sister-in-law is um, interfering in my life. Okay, step one is... Um, accepting the fact that your sister-in-law is interfering with your life. Step two, that there is a power greater than yourself that can deal with your sister-in-law. You don't have to to do that. You only need to deal with yourself. Step three is turning your feelings about your sister-in-law over to your... And so, again, you go through all the steps just on a single entity. And so you're still basically doing the same thing. You're still working the program, still working your way through, but it just has um, kind of migrated to a certain point that you, you handle things one at a time. But then there comes a point when um, a sponsee will say, gee, I, I really need to do another fourth step or something. And it's like, well, you know what, maybe it's time just to go through all the steps. Because after you've been abstinent for a year or two, that you have changed as a person. So the next time you go through the steps, your perceptions of what you're doing, your perceptions of what's gone on with your life, you still have some resentments that you thought you got rid of the first time, but you find that you're still you know, feeling some resentment that you need to work out. And so... It evolves, and you work through the steps again. 
I think I've done them four or five times now, each time by a different method. And that also helps because then it, you know, allows you to, to do some thinking. But basically it is still talking them. I, I like talking with my sponsees for half an hour each a day. Some, some people don't talk that long. Um, but we're women and we kind of like to chat. And it's good for me as well because I had a hard time picking up the phone for a long time. And working with my sponsees as we went along has taught me to pick up the phone and call a newcomer. Call someone who, you know, I may not be able to sponsor them, but I can certainly have a conversation with them. And it's, it just evolves over time, and it's comfortable. And, you know, I love my sponsees dearly and hope they stay with me forever. But at some point they will graduate to someone else, and that's okay. It's um, one of the nice things that I learned in the program is that when a sponsor isn't working out for you, you don't have to give great excuses. You don't have to explain. You don't have to worry about your sponsor's feelings or anything else. It is just, thank you so much for helping me, but this isn't working out. Always have another sponsor first before you give up one. It's better to have a sponsor that isn't working out too well than no sponsor at all. So I hope that answers the question. Okay, uh, this is Frank. Um, the, the question was about, do you work differently with a new recovering person as their sponsor as opposed to one who's been around longer? And, you know, I really look at people as individuals. You know, I provide a framework for sponsorship that people either gravitate to or they don't. Um, Almost everything is negotiable. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Uh, So, you know, my work with each person is really, really different, and it depends on on what they need. Um, If you've been working with someone else for a while and now want to change to me, we're still going to... Start at step one together uh, because I don't know what you did last time. And what I'm doing is I'm building a relationship between sponsor and sponsee that, by the way, I see as a relationship between equals. I'm a consultant because I have the benefit of um, objectivity into my sponsee's life, but I'm not an expert at this. By the way, I said that I'm a marriage and family therapist and a doctor of psychology. Um, Don't be impressed by that because everything I learned in graduate school did not help with dealing with my own compulsive overeating or helping my patients with their compulsive overeating. Everything I know that's useful comes from this program. Now, I may have learned how to do active listening and nod my head and and work with people on what are their goals. Yeah, those are interpersonal skills. But as to what to do, I learned it from my sponsors and our literature. So, you know, a, a lot of times... Um, when I'm working with a sponsee, I really ask them, what do you want from a sponsor? You know, we get to have a higher power. We get to design, uh, you know, God of our understanding. I also think we need to do that with a sponsor. And then our sponsor may say, that's great, but it's not me. 
And so go find someone else. I'm also a believer in temporary sponsors. Until you find the great sponsor or the right sponsor. This is kind of like just the opposite of spouses. You know where the wrong spouse is? is No spouse is better than the wrong spouse. Just the opposite is true in program. The wrong sponsor is better than no sponsor. So, you know, find one that's completely inappropriate, but don't leave a meeting without a sponsor. And much like Lori said, uh, do not fire a sponsor until you have another candidate. Kind of like the opposite you're supposed to do with breakups in relationships. You know, we, we, wa- we want you to get rebound sponsors. Don't go it alone. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this next question is to both of you. What is your process when you are available and someone asks you to be their sponsor? I always start them out with, um, please understand that um, I will give you a, not give you, but it's a trial period at first to wait and see if we work well together. I'm totally willing, you know, to work with, with any newcomer, any, any person who asks but there is a period of time where, you know, I, basically I'm a temporary sponsor until, you know, we kind of come to the conclusion that, you know what, I really like your phone calls every day. I really hope that you will continue to call me every day. And sometimes I have sponsees that just sort of disappear off the face of the earth. And I feel for them. I will contact them once or twice and say, you know, how are you doing? Are things Okay. But as my sponsor has talked to me, that um, people have to be willing to work with you for it to work. And so if you go after them, it's an artificial thing, and you're getting between them and their higher power if you keep going after them. They need to want what you have. And that's okay. Often people will come back. I rarely will... Um, drop a sponsee, I will learn to be patient because I have things to learn from my sponsees as well. And so I will be patient with them. The only thing I will tell them is that if they stop working their program, I will accept someone else in their place and they will you know, lose that, that place. Um, sorry, I lost track of the question, but hopefully that answered it. <laughs> Could you restate the question? What is your process when you are? What is your process when you are available and someone asks you to be their sponsor? Um, when someone asks me to be their sponsor, much like Lori, I believe in an um, introductory period. And before I even go over sponsorship guidelines, I go, absolutely, I'd love to work with you. Um, people who I sponsor call me every day. Um, please call me tomorrow. Um, I'm going to be available between um, 8 and 9. Call whenever you want. Um, but for sh- I'm a sure thing between 8 and 9. And after that, I see patients every hour. And so I kind of see how that goes. I don't give them assignments other than checking in with them. It's, um, 
I don't know, is anybody listening to this recording who's a fisherman or fisherwoman? Um, I've only fished once, but I lived in Bishop for five years. And apparently the strength of the um, fishing line is called test. So there's five-pound test and 10-pound test. And there's an old saying that it's like pulling a 10-pound fish out of the water on five-pound test. And so, you know, if the fish is bigger than the strength of the line, you don't yank. You give it a gentle tug and you give them some line, some gentle tug and some line. And then when the fish is tired, you yank them into the boat. That's how I sponsor. It's kind of like, just give me a call. Tell me how you're doing. People come into program because they're unhappy with what's going on with their relationship to food. And I let that be the driving force. And, you know, I don't, I wouldn't keep calling a sponsor for a long time if I wasn't getting results. And that's where the suggestions come in. I wait for teachable moments. And if the people don't keep calling, whenever they do, it's like, it's really good to hear from you. How have you been? Tell me about your program. What have you been doing? How are your meetings going? Genuinely interested. Filtering everything through. Is what you're doing working? If it is, I have no suggestions. If it's not, I bet I do. Thank you both. I have another question. It is, what have you found as the most effective way to help people come back to the rooms? I've um, found within my heart that probably... The most important people in in the room are those who have come back, who have tried OA, thought it wasn't working, and then come back. They're often quite filled with shame at having stepped out, and yet I am so incredibly proud of them for being brave enough to come back that there is a great deal that I can learn from them on how not to have to go through what they did. And the only way I'm going to learn that is if they they can come back and share what it was. So I am eager to talk to them. I am eager to learn what they have learned. And if there's something that I can help them with from what I've learned in the past, then that's that's wonderful. But meanwhile, they're back, they're engaged, and... They're willing to offer to help other people, and I just think that's marvelous. So the question is about what do you do to encourage people to return to OA after they have left? Um, One of the things is I share in meetings some of our sayings, like it's easier to stay abstinent than to get abstinent. So I talk about treasuring and cherishing your recovery to not take it lightly. And the other thing I do is I share what I've gone through and what had me go out so people can learn from my experience rather than duplicating what I've done. The thing I know is people are going to do what they're going to do. So um, one is welcoming people who come back in the room that say, yeah, I'm returning. I give them the same VIP treatment as I do newcomers. The other thing is your intergroup 
probably has a a board position called activities. And activities come up with activities. So the one thing I like to do is I like to call people I've worked with before and say, hey, there's a talent show coming up next Thursday, and I'm going to do stand-up comedy. Would you like to come and hear how funny I am? There's other people with other talent, too. One time we came up with, I lead a men's meeting, and we put on um, a guy's trip to the zoo. And, we, you know, there was only about eight people who went, but it was great, and there was fellowship about that. The other thing, as I've talked about, is the text thing, you know, where we keep in contact with each other. Um, and so you're always on the text list unless you say, please remove me. So that lets you know that you're available. Um, so those are some of the things. Oh, Lori has something. Just a quick thing to add. Um, I did not know at the beginning, but now know that on December 12th, it's 12th Step Within Day. And what is encouraged is to call 12 people that day that you haven't seen in a meeting for a while. So I keep my old meeting lists. And if I haven't seen someone for a while, you know, I'll give them a call. And I don't wait just until December 12th, but I do focus on that that day. Great assignment to give your sponsees is if there's someone in the meeting who says that they're new, go up and say hello to them. Welcome them. Tell them, I'm glad to see you. I've been here 15 minutes uh, before you, and it's good to see other new people here. Thank you. Um, I have a question. How do you respond to newcomers' questions about what to eat to be abstinent? I find that, and I strongly believe that OA has a wonderful definition of abstinence, and it is refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behavior in order to get to or maintain your healthy weight. That has been my goal from the very beginning. That is my abstinence. I don't define my abstinence any differently. What I eat is my plan of eating. What I don't eat is part of my plan of eating. And so when sponsees come to me, I encourage them to get familiar with the OA definition of abstinence, that, that the goal is ultimately to get to a healthy weight for the purpose that it is healthy. We want each of us to live as long as possible. And the healthy weight was determined by millions of people who are within you know, of this height within this weight range live longer than people on any other, either under that weight range or over that weight range. That's all the healthy weight means. You're more likely to live longer. I do not require my sponsees to follow any particular meal plan. I encourage them to work towards having three meals a day. It's surprising how many people come into the program that don't eat breakfast, and so often I encourage them, make sure you eat breakfast whether you want it or not. If you find that you've overeaten a meal, your next meal will still be your same regular meal. You don't eat less because that's the diet mentality. It's not 
that's that's not a I mean, excuse me, eating less in the next meal is a compulsive food behavior. And so encouraging our, my sponsees to just work their way toward finding their meal plan that is comfortable for them to follow one day at a time for the rest of their lives. I really believe that a person's food is between them and their higher power. That said, the big book talks to us about the allergy that happens. You know, for alcoholics, they put a little bit of alcohol in their system and they develop a craving that they can't manage. That's the thing about, you know, we're powerless over food. It's not all food, not powerless over beets, you know, or radishes. But, you know, for me, I don't know how to recover and eat sugar. I can't, you know, the big book talks to people about, you know, type 1, type 2, type 3, and type 4, the real alcoholic. Well, I'm a real compulsive overeater that, you know, if I put sugar in my body, I'm going to crave more. So I talk to newcomers about keeping a food diary, and we're going to look at what works for you. I, like, I think what works for a person is more powerful than my brilliance. So we got to look at, okay, well, you went to Chinese buffet. Um, how did you feel emotionally? Did you have any food cravings? Did you eat more than you said you would? Um, it's a possibility that's a yellow light food and maybe a red. Let's discover it. The other thing is there is no good and bad food. There's nutrition rich and nutrition um, or um, void. You know, like usually things in a bag that you rip open are are they're very light in weight, but high in craving inducing um, reactions. So we take we take a look at that. Thank you. And I have one more question, and that is, and all of these are to both of you. What is your experience with new sponsees who are struggling or dragging their feet? I love them until they can pick up their feet because that's what this program is all about. None of us knew how to do any of this when we came into the rooms. And for some of us, it's quick learning. For others of us, it takes longer. But as long as they're coming back, as long as they're calling, as long as they're attending meetings, they're in the right place for when the light bulb comes goes on, they will be able to see the answers. And so I find most of us are really, really hard on ourselves. We are very punitive inside our heads. And so I encourage them. I heard a speaker one time say that she says to her sponsees, well, how many children did you sell for cash this week when they're saying that they've done something bad? And that puts into perspective, <laughs> you know, how serious is it really what you've done? Do you really, you know, need to be that hard on yourself? And so, okay, so you ate more than you needed to. You ate more than you wanted to. You ate more than you committed to. But you're still here. You're still talking about it. Isn't it wonderful that you're talking? You're admitting that openly. It used to be a secret. And so this is something new. And all of this program is new to us. 
we have to learn how to do it. And we learn by tripping and falling. If someone's dragging their feet, maybe it's because they're not ready. They're not ready to listen. Maybe it's because I'm not listening to them enough. And so I just accept them as they are. I don't judge them. I understand that you know there are plenty of things about myself that people could judge. But I'm no better nor worse than they are. I simply have learned more in this program so far. But my goal is that they will learn more than I do. And I think that's a wonderful so that I can learn from them. And I'm forever learning from my sponsees. So it's just loving people until they're, until they're ready. So the question is about what do you do with a newcomer who's dragging their feet? I see myself in them. And, you know, empathy is a powerful tool. My first OA meeting I went to, um, and I put up my hand to share, and I said, the reason why I'm here is because I was at a, a friend's house for dinner. There was a big group of us, and I got caught in the kitchen eating a whole pumpkin pie. And you know what someone said to me? What else did you have? And I got that they got me. And that I could talk about anything. So when I'm working with, with someone who's new, I tell them, you know, this is a program of action. There's nine tools. Have you tried any of them? Let me recommend that you try one and tell me how that goes. The old saying is, if all you can do is crawl, get crawling. And if you, if you get to know people and you see people who are taking weight off and you're not, there might be another action that you can put in. What are you willing to do today? The other thing is I declare the past complete. Everything we ate yesterday, we can't affect, we can't touch, we can learn from it, we can try new things, but the past is over. You know, so there's really, um, this is a spiritual program. You know, so um, our sponsees do what they do. And as Lori said, you just love them until they do something different. And then you love that. And it, it's successive moments of acceptance. Because as it says in the magic book, acceptance is the key to all happiness. So um, that's all I got. Thank you. Oh, Lori has a gem. <laughs> Far be it for me to ever have anything extra to say. Um, but this is a, an opportunity also to bring the concept of the higher power because I find that those who are struggling to get going are having a hard time with, um, I want to say, using their higher power to help them. And so I just suggest if they're not willing to not eat particular foods, they're not willing to get themselves to meeting, that they simply pray to um, pray for the willingness to be willing. And if you don't believe that there is anyone listening, act as if you do believe. You know, pretend that you believe and do what someone who believes would do. And it works just as well. And so bringing your higher power into your life and into your program 
is key to finding because that was the difference. When I came into this program, I didn't have a higher power to deal with, and my higher power has constantly guided me to listen to somebody, to be at the right place. I have my ears open to some profound person on some stupid TV show who says something absolutely remarkable, and I keep a pad of paper and I'll write it down, and then I can share that with somebody else. And so these are the things that if you're just aware, you just have your eyes open, just pray for the willingness to be willing, and you begin to find willingness. Thank you. Okay, I want to thank you both for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us today. It's been very rewarding, and the intimacy of this meeting has been very valuable to me. Thank you. Um, we do have some time, so I'll ask if anybody in here would like to come up and just do a three-minute share. If not, we'll go ahead and close the meeting. I like to close it with, um, I put my hand in yours. Does everybody know that? Oh. Well, we will do it together. How about the third step prayer? Okay, consensus. We all want to know. over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power 